Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Please be sure to like and subscribe to the Good Athlete Podcast, and that way you can make sure that you never miss a new episode. This week's episode features a conversation with Dr. Matt Wiest. Matt is a chiropractor and the owner for the Center of Movement, which has locations throughout Minnesota. Having grown up in Canada, raised in the world of hockey, and after playing junior hockey, he moved to Wisconsin to play at the college level at the University of Wisconsin-Superior. There, he earned his Bachelor of Exercise Science in Wellness and Fitness Management. During his time at the University of Wisconsin-Superior, Matt was on the Northern Collegiate Hockey Association all-academic team. Matt's passion for athletics founded his drive to become a chiropractor and establish the center of movement. Thanks for listening, and remember to like and subscribe. The book that's coming out in the next uh, couple of weeks here, Forever Athlete, uh, it basically highlights uh, a lot of different athletes from a variety of backgrounds on kind of their story from the ground up. So some of them really dive deep into mental health. Others are more kind of like that transition into the, their their career or their life outside of competing uh, professionally or on a, on a college level. Uh, and really the goal behind the book is just to kind of empower people that are in that space to realize that like, even though their quote unquote career might be over or like the competitive uh, play might be over, they built a lot of life skills and tools that are going to translate into the next chapter and that they are truly a forever athlete. So um, just being able to collaborate on this project with some other like-minded individuals that are kind of in that space that are feeling that kind of sense to get this message out there was very powerful. And then, yeah, just excited to kind of see how people digest it when it comes out. That's really exciting. It's really important. And I, you'll have to, if I take us off track at any point, you got to reel me back in because so much of what you talk about is meaningful to me in my life. And one of the things you're talking about is, is, is not important. It's essential to the work that we've been doing. And, um, and that is essentially the transition from, from athlete to just regular human. And I think, you know, there, uh, if you're doing it right, if you're in a good athletic situation, and like you say, you learn skills and tools that can be beneficial for the rest of your life. That's the best possible outcome. But we find oftentimes that the question is, uh, you know, how, how do I apply this quote unquote toughness to the rest of my life, to a board meeting, to a relationship? What, you know, what, what, what is this resilience and et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, that's one part. The other part is just this very real recognition that the deeper you go into an athletic career, the steeper that cliff is w- when it's gone, which, you know, it's you know, especially we find, you know, college, then pro Olympians who've made a life of it. You know, um, that jump, that's not an easy transition for people. For you sure. That as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's the, yeah. The the deeper you go, the harder. I completely agree to get out of that. And I I think that, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you can relate to it's, I feel fortunate that, uh, and we can get into my story a little bit more later on, but I feel fortunate that I've kind of always had passions uh, outside of my sport that kind of lit me up that I, you know, I, I knew that there was a little bit more to I wasn't expecting to play uh, hockey or rugby my entire life. Um, But what I noticed with a lot of my peers and friends that maybe didn't have that or kind of put all their eggs in one basket is that Mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're more susceptible to that, you know, that, uh, that shift or that kind of loss of self. Uh, And it's Mm -hmm. because 
uh, one thing that we talk about with a lot of the people that we work with and, um, you know, some of the people that I've had these conversations with is just about that attachment to something external as, as who you are, whether that's, you know, a football player or a teacher or an assembly line chef, like whatever it is, like that external attachment is, is where I think a lot of people get lost rather than like, I like building those skill builders or those qualities in their identity. Yeah. Um, so you said like resilience is a good example, like getting attached to being a football player is a lot different than like recognizing the resilience that you built during your years playing football. Right. Um, and like how that can cross over into whatever it is that you do next. Right. That's exactly right. And I think maybe at least part of the point you're identifying is just by being explicit about it is often really helpful. You know, one of the, um, you know, one of the things that I'll say somewhat provocatively in a lot of presentations and workshops I do is that sports don't teach life lessons. I start, you know, I got that slide of sports don't teach life lessons. Dramatic pause. Uh, <laughs> you know, but they certainly, but like they have the potential to teach life lessons. They're an incredibly powerful educational platform, but it's you, coach, uh, that teaches the life lessons. Like it's the coaches, it's the cultures, and it's got to be explicit. They're just simply are not people shooting baskets in their backyard who are gaining, uh, you know, resilience, empathy, growth mindset, whatever, you know, pick the life lesson you'd like to teach. It's just not happening. So, uh, and, yeah. and that's, um, and that's, I think what we have to recognize. And we've got this magnificent platform that's like a hundred million people plus strong in the U S alone. Um, but are we doing those things? And it, tell me more about that. Let's go into your story to tell me more about that sort of, I am like, I'm a football player. At one point, did you say I am a hockey player? I am a rugby player. Take us down that road. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that was, you know, and that's still, I think a work in progress for me is just like detaching from some of those external things that you kind of categorize yourself in. Like um, we kind of talked a little bit before we pushed record here about like how, you know, my, as a, like by trade or by education standards, I'm a chiropractor. Uh, but that's again, like another external label that, you know, mm -hmm. you, you have these preconceived ideas or expectations of what that makes you. Um, and then it creates this sense of, I guess, maybe like an imposter syndrome when you're trying to push outside of mm -hmm. what that label communicates. And, uh, I think the same is true for a lot of different things. And in, in the, uh, in this case, for this conversation, like with your being an athlete, like I think, you know, a lot of times you attach yourself to like, I am this, I'm the college hockey player, or I am the, you know, the guy that's, you know, training in these months, and I can't do XYZ, because I'm, a, I am a hockey player, you know, or whatever it is. And uh, obviously, um, things shake up once you're out of the sport competitively. And um, it, it can really mess with your head, I think, uh, yeah. from an identity standpoint, if you're really rooted into that one thing. You're exactly right, man. And I will tell you what's interesting about it for me is like uh, from a sports psychology standpoint, we like to differentiate between sports psychology and psychology learned through sport. Yeah, I think those are two different places. And yeah. in, in sports psychology, if you want to really perform well in sports, saying I'm a hockey player, it's actually really powerful because all of a sudden it shrinks your decision. Like it lowers the cognitive load. Right. It's like, you know, I eat this. I don't want the cake. I want the, you know, I'm, I'm eating healthy because I'm a hockey player. This is what hockey players do. I'm, I'm yeah. setting the alarm. I'm getting out of bed because I'm a hockey player. You know what I mean? Like, so that's, that can be very powerful. 
And I think, um, and I and I wonder just hearing you, it reminds me of some again some things that we do in some of our workshops. Um, if you were to attach the I am statement from uh, from an identity, instead of saying identity, aim at a, a quality or a behavior, then then could that be equally powerful? Meanings? Uh, could you say like I am disciplined? Instead of I, you know what I mean? Could that be yeah. one with a subtle shift? Or I am resilient, or yeah. um, I am a good communicator, you know, or like whatever it might be. Um, to own that is is really helpful, and I and it's and it's tricky. Like like you mentioned, it's uh, it's really tricky. But and especially with hockey, have you found that hockey maybe among all sports is like it's its own subculture. Long season, <laughs> tough guys and, and girls and you know, the whole situation, it's unique. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. It is definitely, I, I started, I, I mean, I played hockey my entire life and then I actually started playing rugby uh, later and much later in life. And that was the only other competitive sport that I really, I mean, I played other sports, but like on a high level, I only, yeah, there was the only other sport I played and just the shift in between the two was like yeah. hard for me to swallow at first. It was mm. very different. Um, in a lot of, in a lot of ways, but yeah, it kind of, it kind of pulled the curtain back on like how unique hockey is, um, in that, in that regard. I think like what you said, yeah, I think coming back, going back to the, I am statement, like, I definitely think that there's no, there's no harm in like having the label there. Like I am a hockey player, but like Mm -hmm. you said, I think it's really valuable to just like dissect what that means, um, instead of just relying on the umbrella you know so like one yeah yeah one like one exercise that i've done is kind of just you know putting all those hats on a piece of paper so say you've got billy he's a he's a hockey player he's a brother he's um i don't know the social convener for his class like whatever these labels are that he's got uh putting those on a piece of paper and then like almost like branching out like what qualities have you built or uh, cultivated from those positions in your life or those labels that you hold. And then I think it just brings a lot more attention to what else is like the depth of that title that you hold instead of it just being kind of like a blanket statement. I am a hockey player. What does that mean? What has that done for you? Let's, I love that. Can we do that real time right now? What are, what are three things that like from your time as a hockey player, like what did you embody as an athlete? Yeah. So, I mean, one, one thing for me was definitely, definitely discipline. Uh, that was a big one. And actually a a big, a big one for me was, and I talk about this a little bit in the book is, um, just the social side of it, like the, the communication and like teamwork and camaraderie, uh, which is something that I, to this day crave. And I, I don't think I'm alone on that. There's a lot of people, once they're out of a team sport, they're kind of like, what the hell, where are my automatic 25 right. friends now? You know, like, so that has been something that I've built into my own business, I guess, in an unconventional way, uh, that community side of things. So camaraderie is definitely a big, a big one for hockey for me. And then, yeah, discipline, like I said, and another one would also just be uh, being able to work with other people, like having that skill of, you know, the art of being on the ice with somebody else and kind of feeding off of what they're doing and that quick decision-making um, instead of necessarily overthinking or dwelling on something, as you know, in most sports, there's not really much time to do that. You kind of just got to yeah. be on the fly. 
and uh, make those quick decisions. So I, I like all that. So it sounds like, and, and this is so helpful. I hope there are, you know, a lot of our listenership, we have athletes, coaches, and parents are like pretty much the big three. Yeah. Uh, I hope, I wonder if people could, even if, if they're driving or on the, you know, on a jog or whatever, when they're listening to this, I wonder if they could try that. So like, I am a hockey player, which means I am disciplined. I am part of a community. Uh, I'm collaborative or, you know, like however you want to do yeah. it. Uh, that feels, that's a really cool exercise. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I'm picture like, you know, you've got like your name in the center of the piece of paper. Yeah. And then from there it branches out to like, what are some hats that you wear right now? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Like I said, you're, you're a hockey player. You're, you do this at the school or maybe you've got a part-time job or maybe you're a brother or you're part of an alumni, like whatever those hats are that you wear, what are those? And then from there, like, what do the, what do those do for you? Like what, how does that contribute to your identity? Because I think the big thing is like, it starts to just bring awareness to the fact that you're not like in one plane, you're not just this person. You've Mm -hmm. got a lot of other qualities and things that you've built uh, as part of your personality and as part of your identity over the years from wearing these different hats that are they're highly functional and they're very easily crossed over into different different things that you might do in the future so it also just gives you that confidence to make that shift from quote unquote being the hockey player to being the next thing it's like well i might not necessarily do this competitively anymore but look what i look what i've built and i can definitely you know, take camaraderie, take discipline, take that collaborative uh, mindset into my next venture, whether that's a sport or something in business or yeah. whatever that is. That's so good, man. That, that, that's exactly right. We will sometimes use a travel analogy. Like if you go from your time as an athlete to your time as a, as a you know, functioning member of society, uh, what do you bring with you? You know, and, and, and if you've got the suitcase with you, you've got to pack it with stuff deliberately. You know, you can't, it's not just the abstract of your entire career, but you're packing your suitcase, qualities and skills and, and all that kind of stuff to take with you. Yeah. Uh, another thing I heard you say that I really want to uh, focus on for a second is um, essentially, you know, we are all about developing skill sets. You are too. And, and then that other piece of it, that analysis piece, which often includes different, not only different viewpoints. And I mean that kind of in two ways. One of them is, is you, you kind of mentioned empathy and reading, reading the ice in your case and seeing what's going on. That would be for me, evaluating context, but also levels, meaning like in this moment, uh, I need this skill. It's the thing that's three feet in front of me. And then if I zoom up and zoom out and, and recognize that eventually this career is going to be over and I need to, you know, what am I going to do down the line? Or, or maybe even before then, like you said, what else am I involved with? Just very simply, so maybe there's a three foot, 30 foot, three mile view where it's, there's the here and now, there's the everything I got, got going on with my life, and there's the where I want my life to go levels. And I don't know if it's helpful for you, but I often find that that gives me, that gives me space in a lot of important ways. And we kicked off this conversation with you talking about uh, mental health. I have found that depending on the population we're working with, and we have been legitimately all over the world. And my day job is at a fantastic place, at a very, very high achieving place where, where students are experiencing stress some occasionally for because they, they wear so many hats. They've got so many ambitions and they're working so hard. We have other students that we work with who are, you know, in, in sort of a different uh, and far 
I would say just broadly speaking, under-supported environment where their concerns are more immediate to their health and, and safety and well-being, whatever it is, it's often helpful to, to practice that strategy. You know, what will, yeah. what will my life look like 10 years from now? I don't know. Going to see, if nothing else, take your eyes off of what feels like a very full plate, which sure. plays into mental health. Yeah, 100%. And like, that's, yeah, that's one good thing to kind of use in uh, context for this conversation is like, I, I work a lot or I guess I'm around a lot more people that have already made the, the transition out of their competitive sport. Right. And man, if I could snap my fingers and get athletes, current athletes interested in this type of stuff, that would be phenomenal. As you probably know, it's when you're in the sport, like it's hard to like get out of the tunnel vision of like, all right, I am, I'm getting after it. My, my short-term goals are I'm making this team or I'm, you know, I'm hitting these, these points or these different things uh, in my career that I'm looking to do short-term. So getting out of that is a challenge. Absolutely. But like you said, like having those layers, I think is really valuable. Um, one thing that we talk about even, I mean, in general around mental health is, uh, building, you know, building awareness, how much that does just, just from like a stress standpoint. And so, uh, in, in doing that, like just building awareness around, like you, like you said, like some of the other things that you've done, I think will really take a lot off the plate or make it seem le like less of a triggering thing. If you're feeling overwhelmed, hmm. when you really take a zoom out and realize that like in this moment, it might seem like I'm, I've got this task at hand, but I'm also, you know, I've got these other things that I'm building towards. So mm -hmm. this moment doesn't seem like the end all be all when you zoom out. So that's really interesting. I think what I'm hearing you say, and I agree with you completely is in part self-awareness, like is such an important skill, but also self-awareness in context because you yes. know, awareness of what's coming down the road today versus like an awareness of the big picture. And like you say, not to go too like overly like psychology heavy on this, but especially in like high school athletes, um, and this is true, this is like, for anyone who's interested, look up like Piaget, Vygotsky, like all these folks who've come, um, really smart folks who've laid the groundwork for this, but like in early adolescence, you don't even really have the capacity to throw the line too far down the road, you know, like like you're just been developing this this understanding that that uh, you you can be forward looking and plan for the future. So, all of that to say, that's where people like you and I probably come in is to um, help them with that perspective, uh, put them, you know, the the lessons. I love that uh, that lesson that you talked about. That's that feels like something that every athlete should have to do. What play are you running? Also. What are the components that are going to make you successful as a hockey player? Also, where else could you apply those skills and strategies? I think that's interesting. Yeah, and you could you could frame that in a lot of different ways. Like even even for current athletes, like you've got that same diagram going on. Like mm -hmm. there might be, like I said, you're. I, I use the example as like a brother or a son, like something that is just undeniable. You either are or you aren't, right? Um, you, if you're wearing that hat, what things, what qualities do you possess because of that, that maybe contribute to your sport right now in that short term window? Interesting. Like, you know, you're, you're loyal, you're, 
dedicated, your, you know, all these different things that maybe come with that title that can also cross over into the success of you being an athlete. Like, again, if you're looking at that, that short window, I think is another just good way to use that as an awareness tool. Really good. That's really good. Okay. So say you're a son. What uh, you mentioned loyalty. Give me some more. That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, you've got loyalty, you've got compassion, like you've got, you know, different things like that. Uh, You've also, I think, I think with being a child, there's like, you learn discipline, right? You learn discipline to, to, to different situations with your parents. So all of those qualities, like they cross, I mean, they're not just specific to you being in that role. So I think being aware of like, oh yeah, like I'm, you know, I've got all these other things that I've actually developed over the years just because of this one pillar of my life. Um, that that can translate into your sport or again, for, in my case, when I'm talking to people that have moved on from their sport, kind of the vice versa of that, you know? the things you built in your sport that can cross over into your and life. You know, I'm so excited about what, by what you're saying is I always think about it in that direction. And I don't always think about supporting the athletes in the way that you just mentioned. So that's something I'm going to have to incorporate. Like you don't yeah. have to relearn how to be loyal to your team. You know, are there, yeah. other, you know, it, it theoretically, are there other right. places where you've done this before? Oh, perfect. Remember how that sure. felt? Let's bring it into this environment a little bit. Um, what do we have to do? To, that's interesting. So yeah, I think that's about an empowering like, thing for an athlete, for sure. It is. Like, I think about, I mean, I'm from a really rural community up in Alberta, Canada. And uh, so it's funny because, like, I would say we talked a little bit about, like, some of the Eastern practices about mindfulness and, like, emotion regulation. Uh, one being meditation, right? So that, okay. for some people, that might be, like, an instant eye roll. Like, ah, I've tried yeah. that. I can't do right. that. Uh and I laugh because like, I tell my dad all the time, like, who's a farmer, like, yeah, well, you might not sit on a pillow and like, hold your hands in like a Zen position and meditate, but you sit on your tractor in quiet for 18 hours a day. I would call that being mindful and a practice, a certain practice of meditating. So like, if you've got an athlete that, you know, you could use that and translate into like, oh, yeah, well, I'm not very good at like keeping my mind still or processing my thoughts. So I get yeah. distracted on the ice. It's like, well, what about these times? Like, you've done this. What, why, do you, like, don't, don't use the I am not statement unless you can really tease it out because I think there's, you could prove yourself wrong. So I couldn't agree more. So here's what's going to happen. This is weird, but I'm going to read a poem. I've never done that on the podcast. We've recorded like 40 <laughs> episodes. I love it. On this, okay. I like because, it. Let's do it. Here's what it is. I, I like, I'm thinking a lot about, again, like we, we sort of mentioned off the air, like how, you know, tame the body, free the mind. I do fully believe in, in breathing and meditation and everyone developing their own relationship to some sort of grounding practice, right. Mm-hmm. To, to quiet the noise and find your center and like what an incredibly, valuable thing that would give you know a gift that would be to give everyone especially in an environment where like the the the, there's a lot of noise the war for our (laughs) attention is raging by you know Mm -hmm. like from all tech industries everything so all right well sorry man this is uh this is happening and and i'll tell you why it's happening what's that (laughs) said swoon me let's go with this poem let's well i didn't write it it was robert frost <laughs> <so>. <laughs> uh but i but i gave it to a friend of mine last night 
um, this this keeps popping up in my head and just reminding your dad, the father, your, your father yeah. going through this, having his own relationship to sort of a meditative grounding state. Uh, the poem is called Mowing. So here you go, podcast yeah. listeners. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> let's check this out. And I'll send this to you too. So yeah. it goes, there was never a sound beside the wood but one. And that was my long sigh whispering to the ground. What was it it whispered? I knew not well myself. Perhaps it was something about the heat of the sun. Perhaps, oh, I screwed it up. Something perhaps about the lack of sound. And that was why it whispered and did not speak. It was no dream of the gift of idle hours or easy gold at the hand of Fay or Elf. Anything more than the truth would have seemed too weak. To the earnest love that laid the swale and rose, not without feeble-pointed spikes of flowers, pale orchises, and scared a bright green snake. The fact is the sweetest dream that labor knows. My long sigh whispered and left the hay to make. And it's like, I, I read that and, and like sort of meditate on it a little bit, but like there's two lines that, that maybe sum it up. And one of them, uh, this is a, this is a sonnet. Um, it's like a modern sonnet. So there's like a Volta and like, I won't go into the mechanics of poetry, but, yeah. um, but anything more than the truth would have seemed too weak is such a, such an incredible and centering line for me. Cause it's like, I don't need to dress this whole thing. I don't need to dress this up I'm here, yeah. like working aside through the grass in the sun and the state. And that's enough. And I don't need to, you know, and anything more than the truth would have seemed too weak. It's such a, such a cool, yeah, simple, and simple and honest, right? Like, that's it. Yeah. If you start yeah, there, you're probably in a good place. That's wild. No, I like that. You definitely got to send that over for sure. I'll send it to you. And send it to your dad. I don't know. If yes. Meditation, <laughs> poetry. I don't know if this is the, <laughs> but he'll be, he'll be into it for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. No, that's, that's great. Yeah. I took a, I actually, last year I took a, I did a course a meditation teacher training course and it was, and part of the reason that I did it was because I was that guy that was like, I can't meditate. Like I, I love the idea of yeah. meditating, but like my, my only practice was like a guided meditation. Like the thought of being in silence alone was like, I can't do that. My mind is racing. And uh, the thing that I learned that was the most valuable is that that is exactly like basically your practice is exactly what it is. So being alone in your thoughts instead of trying to suppress your mind wandering is is imagine a paper shredder just taking all of those things that are going on and just siphoning them into this shredder that just al allows you to start to decrease that amount of clutter and stress. Uh, and when you look at it from that lens, it's a lot more productive and it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool uh, concept. And I think that you can do that in a lot of different ways. Uh, yeah. For instance, sitting on a tractor <laughs> for, yeah, for, sure. for 16 Seriously. hours a day. So Dude, it's yeah. so valuable. And this, I love how heady this conversation is going. We're talking, but uh, the, <laughs> the one strategy that, uh, you know, we'll give to people who, who are, who are in that spot, this is where I was for a long time. Like, I can't just get still like I've got, I got a lot going on. So, but what are we really doing? If nothing else, we're making space for ourselves. Like you say, to sort of sift through the stuff and one skill, just a bit, I like the paper shredder. We also, we do um, a box and a balloon 
is one of our exercises. So like, as you're sitting there, just first thing, be self-aware, focus on like breathing, all that stuff, get to a calmer state, start to notice the thoughts as they come in and just, and go through a simple sorting exercise, which is you can put some of these in a box, save them for later, but they still have to be, you know, put over here for the moment. And some of these think of it like, we just picture a balloon, like this one's here. I recognize it, it's probably it's there for a reason, but I'm also recognizing that I'm just gonna sort of gently like let it go. And yeah. uh, you know, it doesn't have to be here anymore. You come back to the boxes, I let go of the balloons and like, that's another way of just sort of sifting through the yeah. information. No, that's huge. And I think that full circle kind of comes back to that awareness discussion, like kind of similar to like the label of like, I am a hockey player. If you're, you know, your subconscious, if you, if you don't allow it, the, if you don't allow it, the space to kind of sift through the clutter, you're going to, you're going to get attached to those thoughts. So for an example, like if you're constantly thinking inside your head, like, I'm not good enough to, you know, start this business because, you know, I don't have this X, Y, Z education or so-and-so is doing it this way. That's, you're going to get attached to that. But if you give yourself the opportunity to sift through that, you'll eventually realize that you are not, you are not your thoughts, just like you are not your label. You are the things that are built around that. So Mm -hmm. um, it just, the the awareness around that is huge too, because then all of a sudden it just takes the power away. So that's so right. And and, uh, man, this is like, I hope you're okay that we're lingering in the mindful space here for a little Man, while. Man, it's, it's where I like to linger, so we're good. Okay, good. <laughs> it's just, yeah, because like there's another truth that that to some degree, if anyone's like curious, like why should I, why should I get into a practice like this? To some degree, like your, your thoughts, they may not be who you are, but they certainly dictate how you act and feel to a degree. You know, that's why... Um, and, and this is another thing I think a lot of athletes and, and coaches that we've worked with have, have found some difficulty with. Because, like, in part, it's a coach's job to recognize what's wrong and fix it. But if, you, yeah. if you're just a magnet for what's wrong, um, that's a kind of, you know, that will soon color the way that you think and feel. Whereas if you're, Absolutely. like, you know, deliberately seeking out the good, you know, it's not that you're denying the wrong, but, you know what I mean? Like, you, you've got to color your mind in some way. Yeah, um, and that's an, just one more thing to be sort of self-aware of. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, uh, one of my mentors kind of mentioned this as a visual kind of on the awareness topic is about trying to stick to your window. So we all have different windows. Um, the, the way the nervous system works is you get like, as you know, you've got this like heightened stress state, which stress is very valuable in a lot of ways, especially as an athlete, like you need stress to kind of catapult you into growth. But if, if you have too much where your capacity or your capabilities aren't able to match that, you spiral off into anxiety and like burnout, right? right. Um, If you don't have enough stress, you can get into like a depressive or like a stagnant state. So encouraging people just to figure out where their window is and then recognizing when they're outside of that window so they can come back to that window. Uh, A lot of times I think people don't realize that like, they're they're running off of steam and they just keep going because they're like, well, I've been designed to just go hard in the paint and that's what I'm expected to do. Um, but if you're doing that for too long, you're just spiraling further and further away from your window where in that window is where you get shit done. Like you're you're yep. the most productive. You are you are able to perform at your peak. And as soon as you ve- veer outside of that, then things start to go a little bit off. So 
number one is getting awareness around what that window means for you. And then also like building skills to get you back to the window fast. So if you're finding yourself in a, like a, a serious low, like what can you do? What can you tap into to bring you to present moment to pull you back into that window where you operate at, at your highest level? Um, really good. We, um, I just wrote that down, skills to get back into the window fast. We think of that all the time. Also, I'm going to use this window concept. We think of it as just thresholds. It's like yeah. a set principle for body and mind. Like if you, you, you don't want to be always operating a top tier threshold and you don't want to be exceeding it because that's like the negative form of stress. But if you don't yeah. touch on the top threshold, like there, you can't grow. But the, but the recognition, how do I stay within this? Because what we found, and this is just true from the sort of the, the quarantine moment, is that we got a lot of people who might be mentally stressed in their own different ways, but in a lot of other ways, uh, including work tolerance, I found, uh, like they're, they're lingering at the bottom because they're in sort of an avoidance state. The world is uncertain. Things are a little strange. So I'm sitting at the bottom. Of it. Either way. Um, in that case, you'd have to come back up. So that is really yeah. that's finding the skills to be sort of self-aware enough to decide whether or not I'm in a healthy threshold and at what level of that threshold or what level of that window do I want to stay at to encourage growth, yeah. not stagnate or atrophy in a physical or psychological sense. Yeah, I uh, to your point there, somebody mentioned this to me last week and put a word to that feeling, uh, languish. I don't know if you've heard that word before, but yeah, it was, yeah, it, yeah, it, it was like in a context that just like was a light bulb moment for me where like, you're not necessarily like depressed or like just completely shut down, but you're also not able to get that passion or that excitement or that high drive, just like yeah. you would a, a year and a half ago. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are kind of stuck in this languish of like, eh, like totally. I'm surviving we're operating, but like, I'm not super pumped about what I'm doing anymore. And, you know, I need that kick in the ass to get going. And I think that for a lot of people, the first step is just awareness on that. Like, okay, like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of feeling stuck. Like we need to like, we don't necessarily need to like shoot for the stars and then overshoot and get out of our window, but we need to do something to kind of pull us back up and out of whatever this, this is, you know? So that's that's really good man and that's that's totally right because i think a lot of people maybe it's just complete human nature is that when you feel that discomfort what it languish i think that's what the term summertime sadness could fall into play like, yeah yeah you don't realize that what you need is not more avoidance yeah you know, what you need is uh you know some some stimulation you need a little bit of challenge something that's yeah. like you say like in the window something that's yeah. appropriate for you um but yeah, but I have never once in my life seen avoidance work. Uh, so, so yeah. that's but that's a really important thing and difficult thing to be self-aware of. And I would go a step further and say, maybe even near impossible for like 12, 13, 14. Again, you know, you, you hope as you advance, it becomes easier. But again, that's where the coaches and parents and, and mentors come in. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. So. Here's, here's what I want to say. Uh, give us a give us a quick sell on the book again, and then uh, and then maybe tell people where to go find it. Yeah. So, um, I guess the quick sell on the book is kind of per per our conversation here, uh, which really ended up revolving a lot around awareness. I think yeah. a, a great tool to like build awareness is just hearing stories and like understanding other people's journeys 
in this space. So what the book really highlights is a, a, a wide variety of athletes who have, you know, gone through some suffering uh, or potentially celebrated some massive shifts in their life uh, and kind of a wide spectrum of different different situations that people have faced as an athlete and then in that transition out of playing competitive sports. So uh, from a young athlete standpoint, it's a great tool just to kind of hear like, what does that next chapter look like for these people that have kind of been in our shoes at one point? Uh, from a parent's standpoint or a coach's standpoint, I think it's just a great way, again, to build awareness so that it's top of mind for your kids or for your athletes when you're working with them uh, to kind of see how important opening the conversation is up around these kinds of topics. Because at the end of the day, it's it's inevitable that there's going to be a shift, whether that's, you know, nobody nobody plays professional hockey till they're 85. Uh, so there's going to be some kind of shift that happens and the right. better prepared you can be, I think the best, the better off you'll be in the long run. And uh, as we were talking about earlier, like I, I'm not expecting like a 13 year old kid to be like focusing on all their skills and, you know, forgetting that they're, they're looking to make a college team. Like that's just not realistic, but I think the more that the conversation is open about it and you start to kind of like subliminally put these thoughts around them they start to build confidence in other ways that will actually fuel them as an athlete and then prepare them for life uh, post competitive sports so I, I love that and i think what i'm hearing is that maybe you're building this toolkit for them and whether or not they use it in the immediate you know by the time they, they ultimately need it they won't be starting from scratch they'll be there exactly and you know maybe they've heard a couple of stories or it's like a thought that's crossed their head at some point where it's like yeah maybe it, you know, there's, this isn't going to last forever. What else, what, what else can I be doing or what else have I already done? That's, that's fueling me in a way that's going to serve me after I'm done playing competitive. Really good. And can you give us a glimpse into, I, the other thing I really like about the book, I'm really excited to read the full thing is um, the, the fact that it's not just one person's opinion. It's a lot of different perspectives. So what are some of the, uh, what other kind of voices will people hear? What are, what's some of the experience? Like who are these folks who are writing? Yeah. And I think that's kind of the best, in my opinion, the best part is there, it, there's some, just some very real raw stories from a lot of, I would say that middle 80% of athletes, like they're not coming from like all top end pro, like Wayne Gretzky didn't write anything in this book. You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. there, it's just like a lot of real people that have had very real experiences transitioning uh, from their sport into a job or into a different role. And uh, so you've got like football players, hockey players, some swimmers, uh, competitive weightlifters, people that have played at Olympic levels, some people that have played pro, college, kind of across the board, of a wide variety of athletes and just sharing their story. Some of them go really deep into the mental health side of things and some of their struggles uh, that they face. Others focus on kind of like the opportunities that came from their experience as a competitive athlete and everything in between. So it's a really good, really good mix. I like it. Are there other doctors like you? Uh, the, actually, I don't, I don't think there are anyone that's else okay. that's in like the clinical <laughs> space, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot there's of great stories and perspectives. I'm sure it's fun. Yeah. It's, there's a good mix, but well, yeah. yeah when, can, so when's the release date and, and where can people go? Yeah, so we uh, we get the final copy, I think, at the end of this week, which is uh, we're recording right now on December 15th. So hopefully in the next couple of days. 
And then uh, there's a pre-order link that I have available. I can send it to you uh, if I haven't already that you can put in like the show notes. Uh, yeah, and they can they can uh, pre-order and then purchase on that when it's available. Hopefully it'll be, it's available for pre-order now and hopefully it'll be available uh, for shipping in the next two or three weeks. That's fantastic. So um, we'll see when this airs. I think uh, we'll want to be strategic because of the holidays. But um, either way, when it comes out, people are going to be people will probably have the uh, opportunity to at least pre-order. So I yeah, recommend absolutely. you do. I'm, I'm excited to, uh, I'm excited to hear it. Well, so listen, I'm excited by our conversation. I'm genuinely glad that we've found time to connect, man. And, and uh, I, I, I hope we can work on a project together in the future. I think there's a lot of alignment. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. Um, this is great. I'm glad that we, I mean, we've been connected for a while and now we actually get to chat. So that's awesome. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. So all right, yeah. man. Well, thank you for all that you're doing for the world, for the industry, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, keep doing great things. All right, man. You too. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them is up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.